0: Please turn in your Bibles to the Book of Proverbs. <clears throat> the sermon uh, this evening is a little out of the ordinary. It's a one-off sermon, and it's more of a topical sermon, not one that I am used to preparing. I think um, as we as our typical order of, of things here is to go through books of the Bible and and preach through them sequentially. And what a blessing that is to see how God's Word is given to us and seek to understand it as it is given to us. But I want us to take up a topic, the fear of the Lord, and consider that from a variety of texts. We'll begin by reading three texts from the book of Proverbs, Um And we'll see how this concept, this this theme, runs through not just Proverbs, but really throughout the whole Bible. One doesn't have to read very far into the pages of Scripture to see that it is an important theme. It's in the earliest pages of Genesis. We read how Noah feared the Lord. But I think for many, this concept and the definition of the concept may be elusive, especially to those who may be new in their faith. Certainly those who, who are outside of Christ don't have a good understanding of it. And, and even those within the church, I think, fail to embrace this concept as perhaps that they should. There's much more than, um, that could be said about this than what we can say in one sermon But I hope that our time together will give us a greater understanding of the fear of the Lord and as we look at five benefits of fearing the Lord. And as we close, I trust that we can take a few moments to consider how we can build this, how we can seek this, how we can grow in our fear of the Lord. If you've been in this Proverbs Sunday School class, you've heard it recently Um, ...outlined that the book of Proverbs is divided into two major sections. Chapters 1 through 9 form the first section. And in that, the author commends wisdom to the reader and shows in various ways why wisdom should be sought. Wisdom is given a personality. We talk about the personification of wisdom, especially in that first section. And special attention is given to warning sons, as well as all readers of the dangers of sexual sin. Two of our texts come from the bookends of that section, and then the final uh, text that we'll look at comes from the very end of the book. So really, this concept bookends the first section as well as the whole book, and it's a, th- it's a thread that runs really throughout all Scripture. We'll see in chapter 31 where King Lemuel extols the virtues of the excellent wife, As one who fears the Lord. So let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon the reading and preaching of his word. And we'll read these verses. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we bow before you. We submit ourselves to your word because we know that it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we ask that it would tonight go in cutting and come out cutting because, Lord, we need the work of your word and by your spirit to work in our hearts so that we could be conformed to the image of Christ and so that we might learn to fear you, O God. We pray, O Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. First, we'll look at chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Turn over to chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And finally chapter 31 and verse 30. I'll give you a moment to move there, where it is said about the excellent wife, the virtuous woman, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. As we begin, I ask a question of you. What is it that you fear? What do you fear? There's many things in this world that cause us concern. Children fear things that adults know are unlikely or impossible realities. However, as adults, we too fear things that are highly unlikely to occur. I remember the story was told to me of a group that where ...one of my children were in, was in a, a number of years ago... ...and, and the church in which we uh, were part of at that time... had a chemical engineer... ...and he was making a presentation to the children... ...about the chemical properties of water. And he posed this question to the children... ...of, of which my, my daughter, who is now 30... ...she was a part of that when she was about four or five... ...and, and he says, can anyone tell me what is in water? And he meant hydrogen and oxygen... But my daughter raised her hand and very timidly and fearfully said, sharks? (laughs) That was not the answer he was looking for. But that's where her mind went because that's what she feared about the water. And that was when we lived in Kansas, far, far away from the ocean. But there's many things that we fear and sometimes we're frustrated at the things we fear. And yet there's many people have a fascination with fear. People pay good money to go to see scary movies and, and have the wits scared out of them. but And for some, fear is a controlling aspect, a drive in their life. And, and you've probably likely read, and, and many of us have experienced heightened anxiety in recent years through the pandemic and political unrest and the things that we see in the world that cause us genuine concern. And In these fearful times, we find refuge, as we should, in one of the most often repeated commands of Scripture, which is, fear not. In both the Old and New Testaments, God tells his people not to be afraid. God told it to Abraham. He said, Abraham, fear not, for I am your great reward. It was told to Joshua when he was called to lead the people into the land. We see that God spoke those words to Jeremiah when he called him to his rather difficult task of continuing to prophesy to the people who were at the brink of destruction. And in the New Testament, the Apostle John tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And in the first chapter of Luke, we read how Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, spoke these words prophetic words concerning the coming salvation in Christ, saying that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from our enemies, might serve him without fear. Yet, we are often told, as our texts have told us and extolled the virtues of fearing God. It's commanded to us, and at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the author there tells us, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So are we to fear, are we not to fear? To fear or not to fear? That is not really the question, but it's more of what are we to fear, and what does it mean to fear God? Certainly we should fear God, and, and as I look out across this congregation, I thought as I was, uh, as I was sitting up here and, and uh, thinking about the service and looking out over the congregation, I thought of, of all the people that are probably God-fearing people, it's the Sunday night crowd at Christ Church. At least I would hope that's the case, because I see you are a, a, sl- a small slice of the morning service. But yet, we need to hear God's word. And we need to know and understand what it means to fear God. Professor John Murray defined it this way. He said it's the soul of godliness. He went on with a more full explanation and said, The fear of God in which godliness consists is that fear which constrains or compels adoration and love. It is the fear... Which consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship. And all of these on the highest level of exercise. It is the reflex in our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. Let me just call your attention to a few select words from that. He said, it compels adoration and love. It should should result in adoration and love of our God. And it consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship. And then it, is, it should result in, 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 in a deep understanding of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. In his helpful little book, Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book called Grow in Grace. And he has a section on the fear of God and he... He notes in there two types of fear, and I think it's helpful. He he calls one servile fear, and the other he calls filial fear. The servile fear is, is that fear that a slave has of a cruel master. It causes the slave to obey out of a sense of compulsion and a fear of reprisal. However, the fear of God that should mark us as followers of Christ is that of a son. That's what filial means in the Latin. word for son and and ferguson defines the right fear of god as that indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure joy and awe again those themes are there uh, overlapping from the previous definition reverence and pleasure joy and awe which fills our heart when we realize who god is and what he has done for us for for the one who fears god there is a deep reverence for god ...that recognizes him as the sovereign Lord and creator of all things. It acknowledges him as the Holy One... ...who who is the judge of all mankind. It, It sees his holiness and his hatred for sin. It knows of his absolute righteousness and perfection... ...and it bows before him as Lord of all. Yet, it is also pleasure and delight... Because it recognizes that that while God is high and holy and lifted up. Yet he has condescended to mankind. And while he is absolutely perfectly righteous and holy and just. And we are not. But he has made a way of salvation. He has come to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it it results in pleasure and delight. As we recognize The beauty and glory of who who God is, and the glory and the grace of what Christ has done, of what God has done for us in Christ. When one first comes to Christ, there should be an overflowing of of love for Christ their Savior. You would see that, and and if you've ever known a new believer, you see that and, and you rejoice in that. But that should be the the seed that grows into a mature fear of God. We should eagerly serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, as it says in Psalm 2. To those outside of Christ, this might seem contradictory, that we would rejoice with trembling. But it is because those outside of Christ do not know God and do not understand what it means to have that mixture of reverence and awe and pleasure and delight all mixed up together when you think of who God is. As I sought to study this and looked through various references to the fear of God in Scripture and listed those out and began to contemplate those, I saw five themes that, that seemed to rise to the top, That things that, that the fear of God brings ...to the life of the believer. This is not a comprehensive list... ...and I'm not going to say everything that could be said... ...about each of these five points. I'm not going to have you here for another 45 minutes. But I want us to look at five themes... five things... five benefits... ...of the fear of the Lord. What does it bring? It brings wisdom. It brings life. It brings holiness. It brings contentment. And it builds a passion for evangelism. Wisdom, life, holiness, contentment, and evangelism. Firstly, wisdom. We see that right there in the, the what could be considered the key verse of the whole book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then in chapter nine, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, wisdom and knowledge are not identical but and but we could make out and and we'll we'll tease out a little distinction between the two of them but when it comes to the fear of god both of those things come with it the fear of the lord is the key to knowledge and and you see the the antithesis and and there's much parallelism if you if you've considered the the structure of the verses of proverbs you see this parallelism and and sometimes it is it is to Expound more on the, the topic of the first uh, line or two, and sometimes it's, it's the opposite to help you understand it, as it is here in chapter 1, verse 7. It says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool does not, it, is not concerned with the fear of God. They don't think they have anything to learn, they look down on others. And if they're looking down, they cannot look up to see the wisdom that comes from above that James tells us about. The fear of the Lord accompanies wisdom. It brings wisdom. It conveys wisdom. There is a distinction, as we said, between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is information, and wisdom is taking that information and applying it rightly. Knowledge is the acquisition of, of information or data about God's world, and wisdom is seeking to glorify God in the right application of it. Knowledge is what is gathered over time, understanding the scriptures, but, but wisdom is the right application of it. As one said, knowledge understands the light has turned red and wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge sees the quick stand, and wisdom walks around it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments, but wisdom obeys them. Knowledge learns of God. Wisdom loves, serves, and obeys God. True godly wisdom is always accompanied by and at times seems virtually synonymous with the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. Job 28 is one of my favorite chapters as you see there in the development of the book of Job the all the great calamity that has come upon Job and then these three quote-unquote friends that sit with him and initially don't say anything, but then begin speaking up and questioning what his problems are and where he has sinned, and and there's this back and forth over many chapters, and, and it may get difficult and challenging to read, but in chapter 28, Job ask the question he's maintaining his innocence yet he is increasingly becoming frustrated with his circumstances and with his friends and he realizes what he really needs is wisdom and he speaks there of of where he he's he's asking where is wisdom he's, he asks is it in the depths of the earth is it in the mines of silver and gold is it in the darkness and gloom Is it in a place that only the birds of the air can see? He says in in verse 14, The deep says, It is not in me. And the sea says, It is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold. And silver cannot be weighed as its price. And then he says, In the conclusion of that chapter, Concerning wisdom, He says, God understands the way to it. And he knows its place. For he looks to the end of the earth And sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. We can search for wisdom in all the places of the world, in the deep places, in in philosophy, in the ways of the world, but yet wisdom, true wisdom, is found in the fear of the Lord. Secondly, we see that the fear of the Lord produces life. Proverbs 10, 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14 tells us the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And Proverbs 19, in a similar vein, says the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Now, does this mean if you fear God, everything's going to go swimmingly all through your life and you're going to live to be 100 years old? No, we know that... That there are godly people that die before we expect them to. Yet, the fear of the Lord is, remember it is that mixture of reverence and pleasure and joy and awe. It, It is living life as it was intended to be lived. It is living life to the fullness, not in the way of the world's thinking, but in the way of God's word and what he says about life. And there is fulfillment and joy in fearing God. We are living the abundant life if we are living it before the face of God. Knowing him, learning from him, and having a growing understanding of him and his ways. That is true life. And that's what the wisdom of God brings. Thirdly, and moving right along, the the fear of the Lord begets holiness. We saw that in in the verse we just read. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. There's a connection between right living and holy living and the fear of the Lord. It keeps us from sinning. Moses said to the people in Exodus 20, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Hear that connection there again that we, that we saw in the hymn that we just sang, Amazing Grace. We should not fear because we do fear what is right. We don't fear other things because we fear God. And that fear of God keeps us from sin. One aspect of the fear of the Lord is, is knowing him for who he is. Like we said, we understand his holiness, his righteousness, his judgment... Consider Isaiah 6, when Isaiah had his vision of the throne room of God and the seraphim there who covered their faces and their feet. And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah fell, knowing that he was a man of unclean lips. He recognized his unholiness in the sight of God who is perfectly holy. And most holy. When we see God for who he is. We see our own uncleanness that much more clearly. And we should be eager to confess our sins. And obey joyfully. Second Corinthians 7.1 tells us. Since we have these promises beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. The previous verses have just reminded us that we who are in Christ, that, that God is our Father, that we are sons and daughters, that we are brought into the family, and, and there is a family code that, that we're called to be obedient. Not, again, not out of servile fear, but out of joyful obedience to the God who has redeemed us. But the God who is holy and righteous and just. Hebrews 11 reminds us that it was out of the fear of the Lord that Noah obeyed God and built the ark to the, while others were mocking him, yet he was obedient because he feared God. It is by the fear of the Lord that one turns away from evil, Proverbs 16:6. 6. Not only does the fear of the Lord bring wisdom and knowledge and life, Not only does it beget holiness in the life of the believer, but it also brings contentment. Proverbs 15, 16 is a a song that we used to sing when our children were small. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Why? Because you know that this God, you, you understand who God is. If you truly fear God, you have to know Him, you have to know that He is God Almighty. He is God omnipotent. He provides your every need. And you can rest content in him, knowing that he is your provider. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And his children have a place of refuge. Again, God is so big and mighty and powerful, we know that we can trust in him. Think of an adoring child who who wants nothing more to, than to be with their father. I remember when my children were small, they, they if I was running to the store, they, they wanted to go with me, they wanted to ride along. I'm, I'm not very cool anymore, I think, because I don't get those requests. But, but think of a child that just, just loves their father and adores their father and wants to be with them, and yet recognizes who that position, who, who they are as their father. That's the kind of love and and trust that we should have in God. Proverbs 23, 17 tells us, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. It brings contentment because it drives out other fears. We've alluded to that already. It brings boldness. It Scripture compares the, the fear of God and the fear of man. In Proverbs 29, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We don't have to fear man because we fear God. It also brings contentment because it sees suffering rightly. I know some of you have suffered and are suffering and 1 Peter 3, 14 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Because it recognizes that, that everything comes to our life, comes from the hand of a good God. Romans eight twenty eight tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. To those who are the called according to his purpose. And, and when things are going great and we get a big bonus, we, we like that verse. That's a great verse. And then when things go badly, that's a harder thing to think about. It's harder to, for us to see that. And, and it's harder for us to see the, the, the goodness in the harsh and hard providence of God. And yet it stands true that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Finally, we see the delight and contentment of the Messiah, of Christ the Messiah. Isaiah eleven three, speaking about the righteous branch that we, that we preached about a few weeks ago concerning the Messiah. It says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He delights in the fear of the Lord. We heard some of that this morning from the text. The fear of the Lord brings contentment. And finally, fifthly, the fear of the Lord builds a passion for evangelism. Now, lest you think that I'm just sticking an evangelistic theme on the end of this text, let me me point you to some scriptures. What happened in the early church? God's word spread exponentially. People were being saved by the thousands. And I'm not saying that can or necessarily does happen today. But listen to what it says about the church in Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The fear of the Lord provides fuel for and passion for and equips us to share the gospel, to take the gospel to those that haven't heard. Because when we, as the people of God, are filled with the fear of God, other people notice. And that's what happened in the early church. 2 Corinthians 5:11 says therefore knowing the fear of God we persuade others but what we are is known to God and I hope it is known also to your conscience knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade others because we fear God we want others to fear God because we recognize God for who he is and 2 Corinthians 5:14 and 15 says for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And we see it, we see how the how, how the fear of the Lord is persuasive. We see it in Exodus 14 that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. When when people see God for who he is, they recognize him. They should recognize him as God and as the one to whom they should bow the knee. So we need to fear God. So what do we do if we don't fear God? Well, first of all, if you are here and you are outside of Christ, then you don't really fear God because you don't really know him as God and you have not bowed the knee to confess your sins. So first thing you need to do is is to bow the knee in humble submission to God as the supreme king and Lord and judge of all. And recognize him as Lord. Confess your sins and trust in the work of Christ that he has provided for sinners. That's step one. But maybe you're like many, and, and as I said earlier, I, I kind of wondered if, if, the, if the Sunday night crowd needed this. But, you know, folks, we are influenced by society. We, we don't even have to turn on the TV but if you, if you scroll through Twitter or Facebook, if you just drive down the road, you're influenced by the world. And the world fears not God. And it's easy for us to slip into the world's way of thinking. So we need this antidote. We need to fear God and we need to think about how we fear God and how we can fear God more. We need to recognize that God is the source of all things. We need to see grace as the only way that anyone can come to Christ. And that it is only as you are covered with Christ's righteousness that we can sing, as Dr. Rankin shared with us this morning, knowing that Christ is your brother, your head, and your Lord. We must know that it is a work of grace in our own heart. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and Grace, my fears relieved as we sang. We need to consider God's providence and care. We need to speak often about God's work in us. I don't think we do that enough. We need to say, here's what God has been teaching me. Or be willing to ask, what has the Lord been teaching you? Where are you reading in the, in the Bible? What good books have you been reading? How has God been teaching you about himself? We need to consider his providence and his care. We, we need to be continually learning more about God. And as we come to his word, and I trust that, that you are in God's word daily, as you come to his word, pray that God would, would bathe your mind with his word and would, would cleanse the impurities of the influences of, of other things that, and, and other people that fear not God. Learn more of God in his word and through books that point you to God. Nowadays, it seems like there's, there's people that are always trying to make a name for themselves by what they say or, or, or the number of followers they have on whatever social media platform. But we can really benefit by those obscure preachers of days gone by who wrote out of their love for Christ, and, and their deep study of God's word. The people in the backwaters of uh, towns of, of England in the 17th century, we could benefit much from men like that. But if we don't think we fear God enough, we should ask for it. Just as James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. God who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given him we should ask for more of the fear of God. We should also pray for it. Pray in the words of Psalm 86, which says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And we can rejoice knowing that heaven will be filled with God-fearers in the glimpse that, that God gave to The Apostle John in Revelation, we read in chapter 19 and verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on his throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. We practice fearing God upon this earth because we're going to be in heaven with those that fear God and we can love God perfectly and we can know that he is God and we can see our savior face to face. What a blessing that will be. May God grant us grace that we might fear him rightly, that we might know him. And I implore you as I challenge myself in these moments to seek the Lord, to seek him in prayer, to seek him in his word and to speak much of God and his work. Let us pray.